that is not the artist we're doing today. That was <laughs> that was us. us. That was our band. And uh, this is our podcast, <laughs> the Rock like and Roll Review. It's been forever since we've done a review, so I'm really excited to be back in the this saddle. Is, this on this is thing. how this thing began. This whole thing. This began. is how this train started rolling. It was yep. me and Stuart. You know, at my kitchen table in St. Helena, talking about... Freshly off being fired. From <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have nothing to do. I've got nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> wow, and then we get it's really sad. Well, that's now. appropriate for uh, the type of music we're talking about today. Yeah. It's wonderfully depressing and raw. Um, yeah, you know, we, we wanted to bring... You have this kind of talent for finding under the radar bands that you've probably never heard of. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you've probably never heard of this band. You've probably never heard of it. My favorite band. Um, I feel yeah. like it, I'm not trying like to be all elitist. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like saying that is like a vague slight on the artist, and I don't want to be that way. Because no, 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 no. Literally, no <laughs> one's heard of us. So yeah, no one's heard like, of us. They're to say, uh, I like to think of them as a little more under the radar under the radar because they're just what i think they're very successful in their own right and i would love to be as successful as these artists yes well the point is that they deserve an even bigger audience and that's why they've come to radio (laughs) presents here and we're gonna give them that with our power and our Cu- couple hundred listeners. Yeah. Um, well, you know, anything we can. I don't know. It's it's more about just like, yeah, let's let's talk about, you know, let's talk about how artists are making a living at that level too. I'm yeah. I'm fascinated by that. You know, I, we've said before. I'm like, I would never want to be. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna call me bullshit right now, but I would never want to be like not. Taylor Swift famous. I think that's, <sighs> and I never will because I'm too old. It's really but tough. <laughs> like if if so you, it'd be crazy. If if some unearthly demon came up to you with like (laughs) you know one of those old school trades with like the the cover on top of it and there's like a plate underneath it you know what I'm talking about okay (laughs) underneath that cover that is like silver dome was like you can be Taylor Swift or you can live with four cats and five people in a house in Concord I I mean you'd probably choose to be Taylor Swift well yeah but like I don't I don't know because like that level of fame just seems like a lot but what what i've said in the past is like oh it'd be cool to be like i don't know like wood brothers yeah level famous like that not we're not famous like you can just go to trader joe's yeah. and not be like yeah yeah when you saw katie perry in trader joe's like looking oh yeah like she was she looked like the <laughs> fbi she you know when they're like in a stakeout they have like the hat and the sunglasses and it's like anytime you see a guy who's like on the run in a like made for TV movie, they're like running around with a hoodie with their hands like <laughs> in their pockets, like walking around. Like the Unabomber. That well, was you, Katy Perry and Trader Joe's. You Jones. said you were like, you're like, I looked over and I saw her and I was like, oh, I wonder what famous person that is. Like that's how <laughs> obvious it is, you know? Like, oh, dude, can I just real quick? I got like, my friend Ben was over on Saturday. Um, you're having friends over. How we love. Dare you. We're both very quarantined, so he's in our bubble, but. And we're almost half, we're half vaccinated. Yeah, we're half vaccinated, um, Which baby. is very exciting. Believe in science. Anyway, I was like, we were, we got on celebrity like sightings for a second and like who you've 
who you've seen and i was like i was like you know i saw parker posey in a bar in new york and he was like oh i love parker posey and i was like and i saw edward norton like i walked in on edward norton doing a wine tasting tour at one of the wineries i had and i was like i had my like stupid lunch with me and i was like i'm so sorry let me just get out i have no idea what the Oh, like, you had your lunch. I, I thought had you my were serving stupid him lunch. lunch. Okay. No, they were like they were like walking through um, one of the buildings at the winery I worked, and I was like sneaking out the back to go eat lunch. Like I used to eat lunch like in the dirt, in the beautiful in the vineyards. vineyards. Yeah. yeah, like I was like, let me get the hell away from this place for a second. And yeah, I ran into him, and I heard his voice first. I was like, I know that voice. And then Ben smoked me with celebrity oh, uh, no. sightings. He oh, was no. like, Yeah, you know, I was like, you were in New York City longer than I was. Like. What's what's your like big celebrity setting? And he was like, um, you know, I mean Leonardo DiCaprio's like super nice guy. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's the most famous person. But he dates twenty year olds. It'd be like if you were like, oh, uh, you know, Beyonce or like <laughs> Paul McCartney. He's literally it's like, like what? Hollywood royalty. Yeah, right he said now. he saw him at a at a gallery, um, and he was pretty disguised. But like he, they yeah. they had a quick chat about like one of the pieces, and he was like, I know that voice, you know. And then he was like, Oh, that's. And he was by himself, and he was just like checking out this gallery in uh, Manhattan. So Aww. I thought that was a good one. But wait, where were we? Um, we're talking about <laughs> famous people that we met. You saw, but before that, oh I can't dude, that's the oh thing. sorry, my point was like the Wood Brothers. Oh yeah, you'd rather can be, go to Trader yeah. Joe's. And Katy Perry has to dress like an FBI agent. Dude, they can also yell at an auditorium full of people to be quiet. <laughs> and uh, that's great, too. I'd love to I, do both. I'd like, love to do both. Charlie Crockett level of famous would be would be good. Yeah, that guy. He could probably walk into a Trader Joe's. No, he could definitely walk you know? into a Trader Joe's. And but he's he lives off you know touring in his albums, and he does like he. I just want to make a li- you know, like make Dude, a that living. That guy is, is dream. so tireless. I don't understand how he he's has the hardest the energy. working man. Yeah, I don't business, understand 100%. how he has the energy. Yeah, he just released an entire another album like a week ago, and I wanted to kind of bring this up to you because I thought it'd be fun because a lot of the times we kind of get off our original path of like bringing new music to people. Mm-hmm. We kind of talk about old happenings now, which is, the is re- cool the too. The rewinds and we've got are a, fun. We've got a, a doozy for you coming up. Next it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be a little true crime me. A little bit, but also <laughs> just like great rock and roll history. history it yeah. talks about all these like these royalty figures in you rock bought and a roll. Book. I bought a freaking book and I never read. Wait, this is the most researched so. <laughs> we'll ever be. I'm only I bought a like, book too, actually. Oh, we yeah, both yeah. bought books and I. So yeah, it's going to yeah, be a good one. W- it might even need to be a two parter, to be honest. Ooh, I was thinking about that. I could be into that. But anyway, where were we? We were talking about um, level of fame, level of fame, how we started the podcast, yes. oh, damn it. what the original point. Well, you said we get off the track and we're doing rewinds and like, oh, yeah, yeah, interviews. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking yeah. to do a new like a new uh, segment where we have our release radar like mm-hmm. Spotify has. And we just talk about our favorite release that had just happened. Ooh. And I I loved that Charlie Crockett uh, release that just came out. Uh, which one? Because there's so many. <laughs> yeah, no. Here, let me bring it up. I, I don't want. Like I don't want to butcher the title, so I want to. His Instagram be, yeah. is is constantly like, I released a whole new record, and then I released a new song, and now I have a video, and now yeah, just the hardest working. It's called Ten shows. for Slim, and Ooh. it's uh, Charlie Crockett uh, sings James Hand, who was one of his dear friends, who I think just passed away, a Texas legend. Yeah, troubadour, a true the, Texas troubadour. The song that came off that that I recommend listening to first is Lesson in Depression. 
fashion. Yeah, that's uh, that was a single, so and good. it was great. It's all like honky tonk, so it's it's but great. Like, yeah, exactly, just classic. Well, obviously, Charlie Crockett, he's an alumni here. Yeah, um, we cover we cover him in like episode four. Or five I like or don't tell like me that. that. It, it's a great vibe. You know, just great sounds, honky tonk. Oh, that's classic. Beautiful, classic. Yeah. Yeah, he he's it, so great, and it's incredible how much quality every track has. Yeah. Like, every track has like the album quality, mm-hmm. the studio quality, however you want to say it. And um, he just rips on that record, and I, I loved it. So that if I were to say that was my release radar this week, that would be it. Is he, ten for Slim? That sound like a hipster, but we we definitely have to get more of his vinyls. We have a couple, but he's he's a good yeah. one to throw on. I don't know if he has a bunch of vinyls out. You have something behind you. What is it? Lonesome as a shadow. Yeah, we have lonesome as a shadow, and we should really get that off the wall and just play it more. Just rock it more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have three this oh, week. Oh, all right, all right. They're not this well, week though. I, I like trainers. kind of conglomerated. That's all right. We'll get better. We'll get better about this. I conglomerated like a couple from the last like month. So the one that's very special is Justin Towns Earl and oh. Don Landis. So she released. Um, do peace. I ever cross your mind, which is a Dolly Parton cover that they do as a duo. And it's, a, I think it's a live recording and, um, it's just him on guitar and then them trading off in the verses and her harmonizing throughout. And, um, it's just gorgeous. And I think right now they're like, she's, she's selling it. And like most of the proceeds go to Justin Towns. Is it on, it's on like streaming services and whatnot. It's on like Spotify if yeah. you just want to listen to it, but you can also buy it on Bandcamp. And then, um, I bought a song on Bandcamp today. I do plan to buy the Justin Towns Earl, but I'm still figuring band camp out uh and i bought anna ash today released a song called fire season oh check it out your yeah. girl another alum yeah she's another alum too and she's All incredible. technically alum she's down in los angeles and so her song fire season just came out she does there i so i just bought it she's i think she's gonna release it uh she kind of hinted that she was gonna release it like on spotify and stuff on friday but she was like it's on Bandcamp now for those of you that want to like yeah, get it yeah. early so i got it and um, it's a dollar, but you can pay more. So I paid a little more. Nice, nice. Yeah, d- doing my part. Um, and it's threw it's a little bread at her. Threw a little bread at her, as we <laughs> like to say in radio keys, and everyone makes fun of me with all the bread emojis on uh, the chat group chat. Anyway, um, <laughs> so it's cool. It's you know she's known for those kind of like songbird high like like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And she's got this whole like wall of sound of her doing like harmonies on these like ooze and it's just cr- it's just eerie and it's gore it's gorgeous yeah and so if you want to deep dive on anna ash we did a whole episode of her and i think it's still one of our longest episodes besides um, maybe liz cooper and the stampede which got yeah. super long <laughs> yeah we we, were we used to just chat a lot i mean we still do obviously if you've been listening to this yeah but <laughs> yeah so if you really want to deep dive on anna ash we get we get deep into her records so yeah and and she uh sent us an interview i sent her questions and she sent them back which is always really cool Rare. and then my last my last one um for releases is uh our friends the california honey drops just released a cover of james taylor's fire and rain which I thought I was kind of tired of that song. It's a great song, but I thought I was kind of tired of it. But I listened to the California Honey Drops version today, and it kind of breathed some life back into it for me, where I was like, God, this is a great, great, great song. Like, I'll have to check it out. I haven't. You yeah. mentioned it earlier today, and I never got the chance to check it out. I mean, I had the chance, but I was trying to research today and just get everything down. 
Um, so Fire and Rain, covered by the California, California Honey, Honey Drops. Drops. That just came out. And it's very minimal. Like, usually they have a ton of horns going on and stuff like that. But I think it's just uh, him with his guitar. Jesus Christ, there's a cat really it's purred. aggressively <laughs> trying to get it. And I would be remiss if I did not mention a release by our good friend Sabretooth Unicorn. Yes. They just came out with an album title too long for Spotify. It <laughs> it has dot dot dots at the end of it, but it's Live Nude Squirrels Volume Five Concord Couch Concerts Episode Eleven Mountain Vibe Extended Edition Live from the Red Room. Holy. So <laughs> it's a record <laughs> live from the Red Room. Did that um, set a record of the longest? I think. <laughs> I think. They're, they're like going for this thing where they want to have like the corniest album cover and the corniest uh, album title. And what's, that's totally what's it. What's the cover? There it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it puts it puts the original Sturgill Simpson uh, Metamodern Sounds one to shame. I mean, Ooh, yeah. he said he went out to like make a super corny album cover. But this oh, one. I like uh, it. No, yeah. He, he literally wanted to make it like look like a super corny one. Well, his new Sturgill's new record. It's like him sitting on a tractor yeah, thing. He loves that <laughs> stuff. I love so, it, dude. Um, yeah. With Sabretooth Unicorn, that is a record that we recorded live here for for them. And uh, so everything was done in-house here in our Red Room studio live and uh, i mixed and mastered it as well so good job there we go shout out Sabretooth unicorn and um yeah now that that's all done it's all let's just get down. right into our featured artist today the the great john moreland yeah why we've i feel so bad because we got his permission to use his music on this podcast could have been a year ago. I I mean, it could have been a year ago. Once the lockdown hit, we kind of went into a time warp where I don't know what is happening anymore. Yeah. But we haven't really been doing a ton of these... Uh, Rewinds. Rewi- uh, no, reviews. Reviews. So um, <laughs> now we're finally getting around to it. And it's actually perfect timing um, because he came out with a record last year that was not out when we had originally yeah, received so the permission. So now we get to talk about that. Let's one pretend too. it's yeah, it's intentional. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah, totally not, planned. Not we were like, so we're gonna much. get permission. We're gonna wait for his new record. Yeah. We're gonna wait another seven months, <laughs> and then we're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm just gonna get right into it. John Moreland, he was born in Longview, Texas on June 22nd, 1985, and he moved all over the place as a kid, um, Yeah. but he finally settled down in Tulsa, Oklahoma when he was about 10 years old, mm-hmm. I, I believe he was 10, and and that's like the, the place that he identifies with. Yeah, he said, if Tulsa, you Google Oklahoma. him, it says he's from Tulsa, but then yeah, he was born in Texas. So. I mean, he has, uh, he has Oklahoma tattooed on his knuckles, so... Now I'm thinking about how many letters are in Oklahoma. O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. It's yeah, eight. I think. That's how you spell Oklahoma? Yeah. I was like, I spelled Oklahoma wrong over and over because, you know, obviously we're so close to Oakland and like lived in Oakland for a oh. while. I always spell it O-A-K, like o- Oklahoma. Oklahoma, and it's it's just OK. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally see how your brain would do yeah, that. Yeah, my brain does do that. Well, so rain. yeah, it just started to pour outside. Love it. Um, so he grew up in a very religious uh, household. I, th- I right. believe it was Southern Baptist, was what it was. Yeah. Um, his dad was very uh, strict into that. Yeah, and they're in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they moved all over the place, like Kentucky, like all over the place. Yeah. So his main inspiration growing up, they they always ask him like, "What were your like early musical inspirations?" And all of us generally have something that we listen to where we're like. 
that's what I want to be like. And we start playing music kind of like that. And mm-hmm. we sound like, like shit replicas of that band for a little while. And then maybe we branch out and become our own thing, hopefully. Yeah. But he said he never had that per se until later in his career. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into it. But he said his main inspiration was his dad's guitar. When he was a yeah. little kid, his dad would bring this old ass like Martin. 51 Martin double odd, you know, 18 out of the closet for like Christmas Once and year, special yeah. occasions and, and play some, you know, carols or whatever. And he was kind of enamored by this guitar. Yeah. And uh, it d- he was definitely drawn to it because when he was 10 years old or so, he moved again to Tulsa, Oklahoma, had mm. no friends, had <laughs> no relationships as you would have. I yeah. mean, you wouldn't have if you move a lot because, I mean, especially back before there was like, you know, social media or ways to like interact with people. Yeah, you just have to like walk up to people in the lunch like, hey, cafeteria and be I'm like, a, I'm a guy and I just want to have friends. I like, like your Ninja Turtle lunchbox. I don't know. I don't even <laughs> know how you, I don't know how you make friends anymore. How do you do mm. it? I, I and this mean, would have been, so he's. He's our brother's age, born in 85. So yeah. he's like in middle school in like the late 90s and then high school in the early 2000s. Yeah. So Wait. Yeah, he said uh, in order to, you know, help him from not being bored to death or being lonely or whatever, he just picked up this old guitar. He found it in the back of his dad's closet mm-hmm. and started playing it and learning a f- thing or two. Never had like lessons or anything like that and never started to try to like learn songs from other artists. He yeah, he, he was so when uh, he's doing walking the floor, Chris Shiflett asks him, um, you know, when you first started picking up the guitar, like and I think his dad helped him a little, probably like learning the basic chords and stuff, because um, this is probably before YouTube, um, definitely before YouTube. It's like 1995. Right. Um, so he would he says, you know, were you learning songs off the radio? And he goes, no, I, I started writing songs right away. Like I didn't really have an interest in like yeah. learning cover songs. And I was like, that's an interesting way to start. Like, I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah. I, I saw a really cool, I mean, I was very similar to that. I, I mean, I learned riffs and stuff, but I really wanted to write songs right away. I was very drawn to that. I mean, I would like play video games like football video games and like make my own characters yeah, you know yeah. i was like always about like the customization of of things like i wanted to be a cook when i was a kid because i liked making my own food yeah so you i, I get i totally superhero get that. i invented superheroes named. Yeah. i totally get that <laughs> the superhero was named <laughs> super rainbow triceratops knight and he had srtk all the powers <laughs> <laughs> he could shoot lasers out of everywhere but his naughty parts. So that was... I think that would be, <laughs> be the coolest place to shoot a laser I've as, seen, as an adult. I've but seen a drawing you did of him, and doesn't he have like Wolverine claws? He has too? every power. I told you, he has every power, and he has a He's triceratops. Got like a triceratops Anyway, we, di- we digress. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, John Moreland uh, loved just the idea of creating music. And, I, and there was a great quote... Um, I can't remember if it, I have a few references. It, it was the E Town interview with Nick Forster, mm-hmm. the Working Songwriter podcast I listened Ooh, to nice. that he was on, and then of course Walking the Floor. Walking the Floor. Is great. So that's kind of where we got our source uh, material. Um, yeah, he was talking about how he never really wanted to learn other people's music because he would listen to like Weezer and Green Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like. I listened to their songs on the radio and it was Weezer and Green Day songs and they weren't playing other people's they songs. So yeah. if I wanted to be where they were, why would I 
play other people's songs. And this has been consistent throughout his whole career where he'll go, you know, I don't have any interest in like being a ghostwriter for someone else. Like, right. I don't have any interest in being a part of a writing process that's not going to be me singing it on a record. Yeah. Just doesn't interest him. Yeah, which is great. And so, so yeah, around 10, he starts learning guitar and already writing songs, I guess. And then yeah, by the time I, I have he's a great quote, actually. Oh, he says, uh, he says, the bridge was a little wrecked and the actions were very high and it made my fingers bleed. Yeah. And uh, to this day, he said, I don't like guitars to feel too easy. He yeah. likes to rough them up a little bit. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know action, that's like the distance between the strings and the neck, right? So you have to press down harder. You have to press down harder. Yeah. And also it, it kind of messes with the intonation too. Mm -hmm. So the farther up the neck you get, and that's like the higher notes, right. it makes it go more sharp. So it gets more sharp the higher you go. So it's just basically it's a more difficult. It's yeah. more difficult and it sounds shittier. It's more difficult to make it sound good. So and he's, I, he's really developing a skill. I right actually, away. Uh, the first acoustic, the first guitar I played on, I accidentally got um, acoustic guitar strings and I didn't realize it. And oh, I for your electric guitar? For my electric. Oh, weird. And so... I put electric guitar or acoustic guitar strings on my electric guitar and I played like that for six, seven months mm. and I didn't realize it was harder. And I think it helped me tremendously yeah, because sure. it allowed me to really handle the strings and get a, and get used to just handling them. Yeah. So then by the time I went back down to normal gauge strings, I, it felt like playing on air, you know? So. Yeah. I understand what he's talking about. Like, I, he's like, I'm glad I was raised that way because it's like, you know, it's like training with a weight vest on or something like that. Yeah, it's just a little harder. And I mean, I, I started on acoustic because I was so intimidated by electric and I still very much am. And then moved to electric and I was like, oh, it's like, for me, it was easy, physically easier to yeah. like move around with my left hand, but it was harder for me to make it sound good. Yeah. You so know? I think we should just get into the first song. Let's, let's roll with um, it. Yeah. And we can talk about it a little bit, but uh, we're going to play uh, one of his newest songs. Actually, we're not going to play this chronologically like we've done in the past, but we're going to play one of his newest songs. And we think it's such a cool vibe. Um, the the sound tapestry, like the instrumentation and the arrangement is just so is so hip and so, so chill. Groovy. Um, and it's very groovy. And it's called A Thought is Just a Passing Train off of his 2020 record LP5. Show me who you 
I love that song so much. I love the message. Like, I love the groove. Because yeah. I didn't listen to this record until probably a week ago when I knew we were going to start doing this podcast on him. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. First of all, uh, Key of F song, and it has this um, finger-picking acoustic guitar throughout the whole thing. Like that kind of vibe. Yeah. I didn't sing it exactly right, but basically there's what we call um, a lot of common tones in that song, and that's um, a note that is the same from one chord to the next. So hmm. if you hear the three chords in this song, kind of goes from a one chord, then it goes up, and then it comes back, and then it transitions to a few more chords. Mm-hmm. I think the five, then the four. He's playing almost the same acoustic guitar riff the entire time throughout all three of those chords. And that high note on that accented tone is the same every time. It's an F, a high F, so the key of the song. And I think it's a really cool way to kind of create this this uh, almost drone hmm. that that ties a thread throughout the whole song and through each chord, which is really cool. Totally, totally. And then on top of that, uh, there's a lot of really interesting solos throughout. Yeah. It kind of has like... That's what I um, noticed. I believe there's synth, like a bunch of synth uh, keyboard stuff. It's got to be, yeah. Different voices. And the the first voice is kind of like this, just kind of mellow. Nothing too mm-hmm. crazy. The second one is like this cripple creek. Yeah, it's very cripple creek. Yeah, it has like yes. this awesome like cripple creek vibe. Um, to it, and it's really intense. Like, and he's like really going off on it. I think, I believe, it's John Calvin Abney, one of his boys, that's doing that. And he's a guy that he goes on tour with all the time too. He's like a multi. Oh, the other John. Yeah, he's like a multi instrumentalist too, and he goes on tour with him a lot. And he like switches up the whole concert. That's Um, a good guy to know. But yeah, and then he he does like. This really intense, distorted. I thought it was guitar. I could, totally could be wrong. I and it, it was sounds like a guitar. super distorted guitar, yeah. but they don't even have credits on his band camp for an electric guitar. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Who knows? It could be anything. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was just super cool how like the song breaks down into like almost like this blues structure. It's literally almost like a blues structure. It's a one, yeah. four, one, five, four, one, and we would call that, you know, the. The w- a one four five chord progression. I didn't count, but it could definitely be twelve bars. Hmm. I'm not sure. Um, and so it's a very, a very basic roots rock Americana style um, arrangement or not arrangement um, form. Mm-hmm. So that's the structure of the song is the form, and uh, he just adds all these really hip, cool new wrinkles to it, which yeah. I I really love in that song. And he also has like. I think it's a tremolo effect on his voice. We talked about tremolo with Pop Staples. It's kind of the volume fluctuating, so it sounds almost like ghostly. Like, um, oh yeah, yeah, like and you can hear the effect on eerie. his voice. It could be a, it could be a, a couple effects too. There might be a phaser on it or something. But hmm. overall, really great song, great arrangement, great um, sound tapestry. I, I just thought it was sound awesome. tapestry is a great way to put yeah. it. Yeah, as far as like. The sort of theme of the song and the vibe of the song. Um, I guess, so I'm getting this information from his website. It's like johnmorland.net or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's uh, 
Can I just quote it? I think yeah, I can sure. just quote it. Uh, there was a time when Moreland thought LP5, that's the record that this is yeah. from, and it's 2020, it may not happen. Wary of expectations and his cemented status as a writer's writer and critical darling, the Tulsa, Oklahoma-based Moreland found writing difficult at best and completely undesirable at worst. And then he goes on to say, um, you know, uh, it goes back to being kind to yourself. Part of that process for me was realizing all the ways I've been taught or learned to be cruel to myself or to hate myself through my life. A big source of that was church for me. They teach you that you're bad and you have to repent for what you are. Now I feel like I've grown up and I repent for that because that was a sin against myself. Um, and I love that whole, like, the idea. I, I was talking to, I went on a nine-mile walk today, and I had a two-and-a-half-hour chat with my best friend uh, in New Zealand, Carrie, and we were chatting about, we were talking about like anxiety and like self-esteem and all that stuff. And I was like, you know, one of the things that like, I think I heard on a podcast at some point that kind of stuck with me that somebody was talking about from like therapy was like, your thoughts aren't facts. Like they're not facts. So like when these things flash in your head, like, like darkness, like he's talking about or something like that, like it's, it's just a thought is just a passing train. Like that's a beautiful metaphor that he's created out of that idea of like, you know, like, hang on, let me pull up some of these lyrics. Um, let's see. I had a thought about darkness. I thought it was just a passing train. Um, shame is a cancer. Go easy on your heart. I mean, that's that's all just, like, sort of, like, watch the way you're, like he said, like, being cruel to yourself. Like, mm -hmm. just be aware of that. And it's a great, I've never thought, I, I mean, could not relate more. Like, Yeah, and he, he seems like he is fairly stripped of ego, too. Yeah. And like when he says things like "I don't want to write for other people, I only want to write for myself," that's not, that's not ego. Yeah, that's honesty and just like wanting to pick and choose what you want to do with your time, and that's totally yeah. totally fine to do. Um, and I think I think a lot of these negative thoughts that creep into your mind are tied into your ego because, like, it's your ego telling you that you're right, even mm -hmm. if it's your your ego that's tearing you down as well. Yeah. If you're like tearing yourself down in your mind, it's still your ego telling you that this must be true. And that's why you f feel so shitty about it. It's, it's so tough. Like I've definitely had, you know, those insecurities of like, you know, you know, why, why does my verse, my voice need to be heard here? Like, why, why does it, why is, does this song matter? Like, ah, eh, you know, where you just kind of want to give up and you're like, you can't find that. Um, or you're too hard on it. Like, I think a lot of why he took this kind of break, I'll, I'll quote him again. Um, he says, uh, I'm hesitant to talk about it because I know people don't want to hear some dude complaining that his dream of being a successful musician came true, but there are things about it that you don't expect that can mess you up. One of the results of that was I really didn't want to write songs for a couple years. One of the ways I got back into liking music again was to let go of the idea that every time I'd go mess around with an instrument, I'd have to be writing a really good song. I just gave myself the freedom to go into my little music room every day and mess around with different instruments and different sounds. It doesn't have to be anything. It doesn't have to result in everything. I also super relate to that because um, I'm a little more with painting with this. Like when I would get out a big expensive canvas and like plan it and prep it and like transfer the drawing on and spend weeks on it and be like this is going to be like an important painting like it just made me not want to fucking do it i yeah. was like ugh, i don't want to dive into this like six week long art project that i'm going to get like tired of halfway through and like i there's all this pressure that it has to be like good and you're like kind of obsessing over it so what i started doing was just um cutting like buying canvas paper in bulk and just cutting squares and doing a two-hour painting and just like telling myself I'm gonna work on this for two two to three hours and then call it done and fucking 
put it in my portfolio book and never look at it again and move on. And because I just wanted to get back into painting without like the pressure on like everything I make is like has to be really good. So when I read that, I was like, oh, absolutely. Like you have to get past that. And I think he had this like success with like his 2015 record. And then he probably got in his head a little bit. It sounds like of like every time I write a song, like, oh, everyone says I'm this great songwriter, which by the way, he absolutely is. I love his songwriting. It's heartbreaking. It's poignant. It's, it's gorgeous. It's raw. It's my favorite type of songwriting. Um, But I I think he got that pressure of like, shit, I, everything I do has to be really, really good now. Like I have to keep building on that mm-hmm. and maybe got away from just that childlike creativeness of just like, I'm just going to mess around and see what happens. Well, I like how you mentioned him going to his, his little room yeah, his in little his music house room. and messing around with different sounds. Cause he can tell that this record has a lot of different sounds yeah. on it. it. It's not just, you know, the typical, Americana roots rock thing where you have a, an electric guitar, maybe some steel guitar, you know, some yeah. some little organ in the background, and like, it's not just like that anymore. There's a lot more sound going on, yeah. And so it's a it's a really a breakthrough record in my opinion. This LP five record, mm-hmm. I think it's his best record to date, and um, it's it, gorgeous. It's a the perfect blend of his poignant lyricism and mm-hmm. songwriting capabilities with this new um, experimental sound uh, scape that he works with yeah. that's n- s- close enough to Americana, like Roots Rock, right? that it doesn't feel um, abrasive or weird. It feels experimental in a wonderfully like familiar way. Yeah, and it's not... W- what I love is that like he, a lot of... You know, when he f- first went solo and he started doing recordings, it was like his incredible finger picking along with his yeah. lyrics. And it was kind of simpler. And so he's built on that and he's added more of a what did you call the soundscape? Like a yeah, I mean, <laughs> more of like I a, called it a sound tapestry. Yeah, he's called it. He's sort of like built on that, but he hasn't done what I think can be toxic for some bands where they just layer shit on until I'm just going to call them out. Coldplay can do this. Like they just layer shit on until you kind of lose. Like it's just too much. And there's like a chorus and like all these, and you're like, all right, like let's, let's scale it back a little bit. Like there's not, it doesn't seem, it's not overwhelming. He's, he's still sort of, he's honoring the songs by not overdoing it. It's, it's right in that sweet spot and it's, it's built on what he's done before. And I think it's just such a step up, which I think that's one of the big pressures for any musician. When you have a successful record, you don't want to have that shitty sophomore record. This isn't his sophomore record, but like the next, you know, when you have a record and you're like, oof, I love that band you know but this this isn't it like they they went in the wrong direction like that's like the big anxiety and the big fear that i'm sure he was feeling and i'm just like i just want him to know that he didn't he he fucking nailed it it's a great he built he grew he he grew in his songwriting honored it like ah i just i'm i'm just i love it do you want to get back yeah so where we left off with his bio young john young john he was about 13 years old and started to play in bands and he said what he really started to do was like, um, I guess it was like 1998, 1999. It's got to be. He's like late yeah. 90s. And he was in, I think it was eighth grade at the time. Oh, middle school. And yeah. um, he didn't really listen to a ton of music. And 
that's not a strange concept for kids because I talk to my kids. I'm like, so what inspired you to want to play music? And they're like, I don't know. They're like, I was in the car and I heard, you know. Not even that. Literally not even that. They're just like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you listen to? I don't know. And I'm like, okay. They haven't found their. Well, he did. John Moreland does mention like. You know, his dad would play CCR. His yeah. dad would play Neil Young. His dad would play Steve Earle. So, like, but I'm not even sure he would. He recognized, but that he didn't. Yeah, at, I don't. I don't age. think he latched on as much. I, what's, yeah. That's what's so like fascinating to me is that he kind of started as a songwriter without a ton of like songwriters in his well of creativity well, that he was like pulling it, from. He kind of just it seemed like it. he he really gravitated towards that punk rock stuff because oh, he yeah. was talking about you know when he was a kid writing songs yeah he said green day and weezer and he was very specific about those two bands yeah wrote their own songs mm-hmm. so i would have to do that as well yeah and um he also mentioned how there was a kid in his school who would wear a bunch of different punk band t-shirts and it was like i think it was uh no fx and like oh, some yeah. bands like that and so he started listening to just punk rock and hardcore music yeah, and uh, just got way deep into that scene. He was into, you know, like he was into all these all these different local bands as well. Yeah, and these local bands were all like Christian punk bands because yeah, the, it, it's the, it's Oklahoma. It's the Bible, it's the Bible Belt. Belt. It's one of the reddest states there well, is. <laughs> and he know? made it's like it's Christian he and made, punk music, and yeah. those Christian pastors, they want to bring people in and they want yep. to bring children in especially. Yeah. So they'd be like, yeah, you can use the rec room to practice in the church, in the yeah. church. Like and even if you're playing, this even if you're playing punk, weird music. music, like just come on by. Well, what I loved about hearing him talk about that era where he's like 14, 15 and the venues that he's playing are his friends, backyards and churches is I was like, I remember that from, from you guys. Like, I think a lot of people, in the local scene that I know got into it when they were already like of drinking age and were doing open mics and bars or even coffee shops. Yeah. But like he got into it a little earlier, right around when you did like 14, 15, yeah. 16, where you get a band together and it's like, okay, where can we play? Cause most of the venues are 21 and up. Yeah, so exactly. we can, can play can at a play? church. We can play at a community center. So you start playing these kind of weird gigs and yeah. it sounds like he, so I, I love that. I like super related. I was like, Oh yeah. Like yeah. he's playing a backyard and like, but th- those are real. I mean, they're real, real venues. Shows. They're and just like, real weird venues. And <laughs> I, I, to this day, I still kind of stand by like, those shows that you you know your bands play when everyone's like 15 16 people go to those shows cuz like once you turn 21 it's like hey do you want to go to my show at this bar well i can go anywhere I can go to, <laughs> do anything i can go to so any bar and I actually could go to any bar. Like, hear why would i go to that bar yeah, yeah and then so they don't go to your show <laughs> but it also has like a super negative connotation cuz when you tell people you're in a band they immediately think you suck oh for sure they're like oh cuz 9 out of 10 must. do suck yeah like oh i don't want to go see your band yeah but like when you're 14 you're like hey like asriel's playing at the rec center on saturday and it's like well what else are we doing of course we're gonna go to that because that's what the cool kids are are doing be there and like it's gonna be so fun maybe that girl i like is gonna be there like that's what that's what people are thinking when they're like i can wear my new i can wear my new shirt from limited two and my bell bottoms like dude it's There's not. There's nothing else going on. No, yeah, not. it was at I, least for us. Maybe went, it's different yeah. for cool kids. I know. <laughs> well, I think th- also this very specific era. Like this is like you know late nineties, early two thousands. Like we. I'm right around his age group. He's yeah. a, he's about two years older than me. 
Yeah. Um, a little over, yeah, about two so years older than me. So he was definitely doing a lot of the same stuff that yep. I was doing. Yeah, we had MySpace and that's it. So he talks about this hierarchy of Oklahoman bands when he was like a little bit older. This is like beyond 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, there were the cool bands and there were like the not so good bands. And then yeah. there were like the lower level bands. He's like, I just wanted to be in a cool band, man. And oh, like, yeah. And he's <laughs> like, I was uh, he's like, I was always in like four or five bands at the same time. Oh, wow. Playing punk and hardcore. Yeah. He's like, I just wrote songs because we needed songs to play. Yeah. You know, and he wanted to write songs. He had the ability to write songs. Right. And he worked hard on the songs. Yeah. He's like, and we needed you know, to play them. So I would write a lot of the songs and, um, eventually he just got burned out on the hardcore yeah. punk scene, just super burned out, quit, quit the bands he was in and, um, started to get more into the, I think Steve Earl was, uh, really influential to him. And, um, so was, uh, Hayes Carl, Ooh. who is, um, if you've ever heard the band Lucero, he, he sounds very similar to that. Hmm. Just pure roots rock, you know, like the really driving acoustic guitar with right. that fuzzy electric guitar in the background. And he has kind of like a, a very plain style of uh, singing and lyricism with almost like an, an intoxicated kind of delivery. Like it yeah. almost sounds like a little drunky when he's singing. <laughs> and um, he really gravitated to the record by Hayes Carl called uh, Little Rock. And that one came out, I think it came out in 2005. Oh, cool. And um, after that, um, he started a band called John Moreland and the Black Gold Band. And uh, they also sound like a Hayes Carl early record. Hmm. Um, they sound like Lucero, who I mentioned before, who I actually I actually remember buying a Lucero record because I love the album art. Oh, geez, I wonder if I could find it. Oh, I bet I've um, seen I remember that. finding a Lucero record when I was young. I was like 15, so it was probably around the same time. Let me, uh, there's this arrow. And he talks about them in the, uh, interview with, um, Chris Chris Shiflett. He's like, I do 150 shows a year. These guys do like 300. Holy They're older cats, but they, um, they do a ton of song, a ton of touring. Let me see if I can find the record. Road dogs. Um, Yeah. This is it. That much further west is uh, oh, it's cool. is the record that I saw and I was like, dude, that looks super 2003, cool. Two thousand three, yeah. And they have, I mean, he has a smoky, gritty voice, very similar to John Moreland, and it's yeah. a great record. I really liked it, and this is one of the records that got me kind of more leaning into Americana as well. So Lucero was a, a band that he brought up, but yeah, um, Car- uh, Hayes Carl is the album that he specifically mentioned in the Working Songwriter podcast. Oh yeah. He said that Little Rock was the record that like kind of inspired him. It was like very inspirational to him. So he played with this Black Gold band, and um, you can follow them still on Spotify. They oh have yeah. like less than a thousand monthly listeners. Two two records, I think. No, right? I think it's one. Mm. I, think, I think it's one record. Um, it's a sideways uh, wild water tower. I think. Oh, um, I didn't look at it. I, yeah. yeah, I was just reading about it. Um, but that ended up you know, not working out. And he started playing acoustic solo shows uh, and he yes. was 
blown away by the compliments people would give him because they would come up to him and be like, oh, I love that one line that you wrote about this or about that. And he had never heard that before. (laughs) He's like, people can finally hear my lyrics. (laughs) He had never heard it before. Dude, I relate. He's like, like, oh, we like like your lyrics. It's like, you couldn't hear them before. Yeah, he was like, back when I was in a loud band, they'd be like, oh, your drummer was cool or your your band was was so loud. Like, whatever it was. Especially punk and hardcore. I can't hear those lyrics. Although, I would, I would love to hear one of his original uh, hardcore songs just based on his songwriting. Now I, I'd love to hear what. I think that'd be so fun to hear. Yeah, well, there's reasons. I mean, Azrael, <laughs> Azrael isn't on Spotify for a reason. Let's put it that. Way. I love Azrael. <laughs> That's my old, my old band for the record. And um, yeah, so once he started getting that lyricism, and that was like his drug. He's like, okay, I'm gonna do this stuff. Well, now. someone finally tells you like hey, you're a good songwriter. Like, it gives you that little confidence because you don't really know. I didn't know. I was like, I was like, I don't know if this is how you even do it or if this is working or whatever. And then somebody yeah. says, hey, I really like that song. And you're like, oh, and you, it's like that little nugget that you need to keep keep, keep going at it. You know, you're like, oh, so that, that was probably a good encouragement for him too. And he, yeah, he said he liked, I, 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 I like that same quote as he said that he'd liked, you know, just he was nervous about playing by himself and wasn't, super stoked on it and then once he started and also one thing that i love that he said was he said you know when i started writing my own music in my head at that time i was like oh i guess i'm writing i guess this is country music you know just because he was in this hardcore band and he was like i don't know what this is and i felt the same way like i didn't really understand the idea of americana you know when we started writing and I'm like, is this, what is this? Is this rock and roll? Is this country? And I couldn't really figure it out. Yeah. I love you know, the American storytelling. Yeah, and it, for me it was, you know, Tom Waits, uh, Lucero, um, black rebel motorcycle club, Howl. Like those yeah. were the records for me. That for me, really it was got me the into go, it. although they might be a little more, They're a little more rock and roll Detroit rock. Yeah. Same with the white stripes. I was obsessed with the white stripes. Oh, well, the right white stripes too. Like when yeah. they introduced the acoustic guitar and the piano. And oh yeah. They still just very and Americana. It, it's very Americana. Yeah. And we were very, we started to become drawn to that. Cause I mean, we were into some real shit music. I, I was into like, <laughs> You know, uh, head PE, head PE, and like limp biscuit, (laughs) and and stuff like that. Anyway, um, (laughs) John Moreland once you know he started listening to that the CCR Steve Earle. Oh, he uh, um, he also named Hayes Carl. He named drops uh, for his guitar playing. He named drops uh, Mississippi John Hurt. I heard that, yeah, yeah, and I was like, yes, because like he he went backwards from like well, Steve Earle to Towns Van Zant to like Mississippi John Hurt. I'll tell you what, let's get back into that and his fingerstyle guitar playing. Yep. But first, let's listen to his uh, song off his 2015 record to kind of illustrate this style that we're talking yep, about. Let's do it um, from the album High on Tulsa Heat. It's called. Hang me in the Tulsa County Stars. Tulsa County stores Hang me in the 
Tulsa County stars Meet me where I land If I slip and fall too far Hang me in the Tulsa County stars well, I don't want to come back down to earth No, oh, I don't want to come back down to earth My heart is going heavy from the ever-endless earth So I don't want to come back down to earth Babe, I know this life will make you cold and leave you mad. Make you homesick for a home you never had. You're burning out the good with all the bad. So, darling, let the charms lean the room. They're drowning out the Nashville moon. I want to learn exactly who you then hang me in the Tulsa County stars Find me in the Indian nation sky. You can find me in the Indian nation sky. When it feels like nothing's real and no one's standing on your side, just find me in the Indian nation sky. And I'd set ablaze the secrets I'd concealed. I'd set ablaze the secrets we concealed. If I could make you feel the way you make me feel I'd set ablaze the secrets we conceal and Babe, I know This world will have the wolves outside your door Make you leave all that you love to fight a war And never tell you what you're dying for So darling, let the charmers lean the room Let them have that Nashville moon I wanna know exactly who you are Then hang me in the Tulsa County stars Just hang me in the Tulsa County stars So that especially um, illustrates that finger-picking style that we were yeah. talking about. And it's really only his thumb and his index finger, similar to Justin Towns Earl. Yeah. Um, it's the thumb bouncing back and forth from the root note to the fifth, generally. It can also go to the third, but if you picture each chord as having three main tones, your root, your third, and your fifth. Mm -hmm. That's generally what a lot of chords are made up of. G when you get into different chords like sevenths or suspended chords, it adds different tones. But generally, we're just talking about three yeah. notes. So the root is the main note of the chord, and, and the thumb is alternating between that main note of the chord. So if it's a, a, this, the chord is called C major, mm -hmm. the root is a C. So he's hitting a C and then another note, the third or the fifth, Back and forth, back and forth with his thumb. Dun, 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 dun. That's like the, per in my brain, I'm like, that's sort of the percussion of it. Yeah, that's, you know? that then exactly is the rhythm. 
Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And then you, he's able to fill in more of the lyrical aspect of the guitar. What we actually hear, I think, is the ding, da, 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 the more melodic version yeah, of it. Yeah, the higher notes. The yeah. higher notes, of course. Sorry, yeah. I'm just trying to blame No, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, those higher notes is, yeah. is what... Is kind of the singing part of the guitar that you hear. That yeah, it that's creates a great melody. Way to put it, the melody it, yeah. uh, creates intrigue. It's not just strumming. Ring a dangle, 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 dangle. Yeah, that, get, you know? that gets old quick. Gets old quick. <laughs> so that being said, he I really became a master of this finger style guitar playing. And he said for a whole year, he like made a concerted effort to sit down and try to play this finger style guitar because I think he did what I did, what a lot of people do. They pick up a guitar. They're like, wow, it's way easier to play with a pick. And it sounds way cooler with distortion. And then they just kind of <laughs> do that for years and years. And a lot of yeah. people never get past that. But yeah. I got to a point where I was like, man, it sounds so much cooler when you're like playing this finger style. You have mm -hmm. the ability to create dynamics. And, and what dynamics are in music is what we musicians call louder or softer or dynamics. Yeah. So he's talking about when you're in a band and this was in the uh, songwriting interview, the mm. songwriter podcast interview. Oh yeah. He's talking about when you have uh, a band, how you create these dynamics are, you know, someone will drop out. The drummer might play a little bit quieter, mm -hmm. but when you have an acoustic guitar by itself, right. You have to be the entire basis of these dynamics. Yeah. So you'll sing a little bit louder and then sing a little softer, you yeah. know, like kind of like that. And he did, and so he started to really interpret that in an, in a, in his own way with his finger style guitar and his lyricism, mm -hmm. and I think that adds a lot of uh, poignancy to the to the lyricism because he does swell a lot, and that's He's, what we call oh, a swell is when yeah. you know it gets a little bit louder and then yeah. comes back, and so I th I thought he did a great job in this whole record really of creating dynamic. Um, music with just really an acoustic guitar there's there's other instrumentation on this record to be sure mm -hmm. but it's it this uh record um uh, and it's tulsa high on tulsa, tulsa heat, heat 2015 is, is a lot of his finger style guitar so he is now i think a, a really um a really a really great example of that finger style picking where your thumb is playing the way I mentioned earlier and yeah. then your index finger is picking out. And again, Justin Towns Earl plays the same way. So And it's why, you it's know that stylistic. And he said I think he said on the Walking the Floor podcast and I don't remember the year that it is, but in that interview he said It was two thousand sixteen. They were talking about oh. voting. I remember they were talking about voting. Oh, you're totally yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um so he uh he's he said in that interview that he's never at that point he'd never toured with a band so when you're you know we've seen justin towns earl for example thank god like i think i saw him three or four times that's why you always go to the concert go we've talked concert. about this a hundred percent of the time go to the concert go to the concert i don't care if it's a i don't care if you're tired i don't care if you have homework i don't <laughs> care go to the concert go i'm so glad we you went you never know what's gonna happen yeah and so I'm so happy for the times I saw Justin Towns Earl. So he, uh, I, we saw him, or you saw him with a full band, actually. I don't think I've ever I seen him with a full band. I saw him multiple times with a full band. Yeah. There's actually I, a video of me on YouTube in, 
<laughs> Golden Gate Park. It's really strictly Gate bluegrass. Park, yeah. yeah, and you're like trying to find a seat, and you're like your little head is like running around <laughs> while he's playing. And I was like, it's so funny because I didn't know we didn't know you were in it, and then you told me that you'd seen Justin Tanzerl at Hardly Strictly. And I was like, oh, there's like a video of it on YouTube. So I like went to watch it and then your head is in the <laughs> shot for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, hey, I like sent you this picture on my phone. I was like, you're in the video. Anyway, um, that was probably like 2013. Closest to greatness I've ever been. Yeah, because I think it was like 2013 because I was in, we were in the studio in Berkeley. Um, I remember. But yeah, so he's, you know, I think you realize when you're doing solo stuff, which you've realized, it's like you need to fill in a lot of sound. Yeah. And what's so interesting about seeing someone like Justin Towns Earl is that he's, he's filling in so much sound just with his um, with his guitar playing. And so that that's a big burden. And I, I, I like what he said about about being in charge of all the dynamics, too. Yeah. You know, it's tough stuff. I like when he was tough stuff. That. Yeah. Because it's such an easy concept to understand. Sometimes you play loud and sometimes you play quiet. Otherwise, but it's fucking boring. You'll like, go, <laughs> go to I, an open mic. It's I mean, going to be boring. We, well, you can't now, but... Sorry, that was really mean. Yeah. <laughs> open mics are great. Everyone at open mics are great. Go do your thing. Be shitty for a while. But Play learn. in front of audiences. But just you go have for it. to learn. Learn. Build you on it. Yes. Go, you can't go to an open mic and think you're the shit. You have to go yeah. to an open mic and think that you need all the help you can get. Yeah. And you need. And any time you play a show, you need to think like, where did I? You can't. You can't celebrate yourself too much. You, I feel like you really have to go to a place of what can I improve every time you're out there? Yeah. What, my, what did I fuck up? Like, cause yeah. I, I mean, I'll feel good about myself sometimes if we play like a really fun show and we get yeah. a great reaction, I'll feel good about myself, but there's always like that one thing where I'm like, God, I flubbed that. Or I like my guitar really wasn't clean in this part or, you know, what it, yeah. whatever it might be. There's always something you can you focus have to go on forward. Always go forward. Yeah. The, so, the thing really quick, the thing that, that kills me about open mics is the, person that comes to the same open night open mic every week and plays the same song yeah. the same way for months and it's like buddy we're all <laughs> going to the same thing and we're learning new songs yeah, and we're building I, on I it think and some we're, people really think i mean they're I like forgot, this is the I one what it's called <laughs> but it, it's like a certain sense of of delusion and I, I used to see this probably with myself too to a certain level with ultimate frisbee players mm. where you would play with i mean for anyone listening to this for the first time i played tons of ultimate frisbee in my yeah. life and um you would meet a new person or a person who'd been playing for a long time mm -hmm. and they're like terrible but they don't understand that they're terrible they they think that they're really good but they're un they're just un like misunderstood or like they're like, they just don't get my game. They just don't get my game. Mm. Or with guitar players or singers, they're like, I'm just waiting for that break. I'm just undiscovered. Like, they just haven't found me yet. So they're going to play that same song. Yeah. Because they think it's great. They're like, this, already. Is, this is the best they're I like, have. They're like, just wait until the, you know, this guy, the right guy's in the audience and he's going to see me. And then, boom, it's all going to be. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No. <laughs> You're going to have to do what fucking John Moreland did yeah. and email venues like yeah. we do and <laughs> say, hey, here's our music. What do you think? And, you know, 90% of them don't fucking get back to you. You can't just get on stage and be like, oh, this is a brilliant song. And one of these days, someone's going to walk up to me and be like, hey, do you want to open for Ariana Grande? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been 
dying for you to ask that. It's not going to happen. Yes, I will. You, you got to work. I have two songs that I in will the, Yeah, with. in the words of Britney Spears, you got to work. Damn, we're throwing some shade right now. All right. <laughs> so I just want to kind of go into a little uh, different aspect of John Moreland, which I had no idea about until I started Ooh, listening to the, to the uh, Working Songwriter podcast. Shout out. Yes. He is basically a do-it-yourself recording artist, just like we are. We own our own little studio here, and uh, we record a lot of our own stuff here. A lot of our debut record was recorded in our room. Um, Our song Move was recorded in our little room here. We're in right now. And our record that we're about to release has also, well, will be recorded in our little garage. And... um, so he was talking to John Moreland, and I'm forgive me, I didn't write the dude's name down from a uh, working songwriter podcast. That's okay. But apparently, he recorded uh, John Moreland recorded a lot of the uh, the early material by himself. Now there was um, there was uh, Earthbound Blues was recorded by Matt Streets okay. and uh, Last Chance Records in the throws. So he got to kind of see like, okay, th- these are do-it-yourself projects. Yeah, I like what they're putting out. I like I feel like I can do this. And this is a feeling that I had too. Like I remember very very young I went to um my very first uh studios I've ever recorded at were uh my old music teacher's brother's house. Oh. We recorded a really shitty record there, like Azrael? three or four songs. Um yeah, I oh, think wow. I think it was Azrael back in the day. Had to have been. And uh, I remember I left a drink on a piano bench, and it turned out to be his mom's, his dead mom's piano bench, and uh, oh it was a god, fucking, it was Stuart. a, oh my god, he, uh, we didn't go back there. Let's just, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I also oh, went to our buddy awkward. Brendan West and oh, recorded was great. a record there as yeah. well. Yeah, so great. I saw that these guys were all doing their own things, and I was like, dude, I feel like I could do this. Like I, yeah. I feel like I could do it. So he felt the same way. So he made it. He made it a point to go out and try to find this gear that's like kind of cheap, but also like um, undervalued. Mm-hmm. So like good, like gear that sounds good, which goes back to the whole shitty is pretty idea. Like yeah. sometimes things that are, you know, cheap actually sound really cool. Yeah, like that. They- 30 50, 40 50 $60 amp you guys got yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes sounds great. cheap shit sounds really cool sometimes yeah. it sounds horrible but yeah or like jack white's weird guitar that he plays that red white one yeah it's like the a airline guitar cheap. yeah the airline yeah, yeah, guitar yeah, yeah. he plays with a bunch of like pawn shop stuff yeah um so he was trying to find these hidden gems he uses just like an imac and this personas fire studio interface with two inputs he upgraded to an eight input one of those which apparently is like pretty cheap i think it was like four hundred dollars like online when i looked for it oh wow um he records with uh an sm what is it an, uh, an sm7 darn it where's my note on this yeah, I believe it was an SM7. Um, and it kind of looks like one of those podcasting mics. Oh, yeah, an SM7. Oh, like it, kind of... It kind of looks like one of those, like... Longer... Yeah, like longer f- ones. Fatter ones, yeah. And what those do is they get you a really clear um, signal from, like, a small uh, cone. Hmm. So if I'm in front of the mic, it's like a picture... Picture like one of those caution street cones coming out of the mic, the skinny part coming out, and then oh, it, like, kind of it fans out, out like a triangle. Yeah, but it's very narrow. Is the point? It's a very huh. narrow um, pickup pattern. Huh. 
So if I have a fan going on the other side of the room, it's not oh, going to pick it up. If it has cars rumbling outside, it's not going to pick it up. If I have a baby crying in the room next door, it's not going to pick it up. But it's going to pick up your voice that's right next to it really yes. well. Okay. Yes. Cool. So the fact that he was able to locate this brand of mic that really worked for him to, you know, record in a less than ideal studio, mm-hmm. you know, it's not soundproofed. There's not well, his, all these his parents' house, right? Yeah. <laughs> not to get ahead of you, but There's, I think High on Tulsa Heat was recorded at his parents' yeah, house. Yeah, you don't have these baffles, yeah. which are those giant walls you put around you to dampen sound. And yeah. y- you don't have all that. They're so all you need a stuff. mic that's gonna do that for you. Oh, that's fascinating. So he had that and also the main thing which is so funny because I always think this with some of our recordings, I'm like, the drums always sound kind of thin to me or they don't have mm. the impact that I want them to have. Because I listen to those old, like, Zeppelin records or oh, something like so that. And fat. you're just like, yeah. why Damn can't I get that sound? Like, you just yeah. want to be like, why can't I get that? And I thought we did a good job with uh, Shelter Sessions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. um, we got, you know, a great, uh, a sound that I really liked. And I thought it was, I really felt it when... John said in this interview, you know, he really was looking for a good drum sound. He, yeah. he like he felt like he could never get a good drum sound from like or couldn't hear the drums, not hear the drums, like literally hear them, but didn't get that sound you hear in your head and your and your soul. You know, yeah, he couldn't find that from these higher end studios around uh, Tulsa that he was looking for. So what he did is he just recorded drums on this record, kick and snare. So you put a you know mic in the kick drum, mic on the snare, and then he has these two mics on either side of the drum kit, like five feet away. Hmm. And they they call That's those picking r- up uh, room mics, and yeah, they're picking up the. R- I mean, some room mics like when we recorded our record, we had a room mic that was like fucking twenty feet away. Wow, and that's a distant room mic yeah. and we didn't use much of that signal but the five foot away that's to me that's borderline overhead which is like right over the drums and that gets a lot of symbol so there's different ways to mic drums and you can mic every single drum individually and then mix it that way or you can get a more overall presence of this drum kit and like kind of mic the important parts yeah you know the kick and the snare so you really want that boom and that you know that two and four of the snare, and then the pattern of the bass drum, and then everything else is just gonna bleed either into those mics or into those room, room mics. mics. Yeah. So you don't need a ton of you know tom action. You don't need clarity on that um, as much. And he got a sound that he really liked, and I mean the drums sound great on that record. It so really great, yeah. So um, and they recorded that record in like. Less than a week, right? They weren't super um, precious with dig it. In, I didn't dig into the history of that. I record. think. Um, I mean, I'm j- now. I'm probably just going b- off like the Wikipedia page, but I'm pretty sure that. Um, I remember seeing that it was recorded at their parents' house while his parents were on vacation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not like it was a like it was a weird secret. Um, let's see. I think. Let's see. Yeah, and this was his really breakthrough record. So yeah. Um, yeah, for High on Tulsa Heat 2015, uh, Moreland used his parents' home in Big, Big, Bixby. That's a tough word for me for some The X and the B together. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma as a studio while they were Bixby. out of town on vacation. A video of the song Cherokee was conceived, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so Moreland's, Yeah, so, 
And it was the album was recorded quickly and informally over the course of a few days in July 2014. That's the sentence I was kind of yeah. thinking of. Like they didn't, yeah, they didn't obsess over it. It wasn't a two month process. It was yeah. like, let's get these out. So in all these other records that he has, these earlier records, 2011, 13, and 15, mm-hmm. the star of the show is the acoustic guitar. Yeah. And uh, it's very much that. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting to Big Bad Love, that's when it kind of opens up and you get more of this full band vibe mm. with uh, John Moreland. And um, I have some notes here. Um, all these records are produced by John Moreland so far, except for his newest record, which I'll get back into briefly before we cut. Um, so Big Bad Love, and it's named for a Larry Brown collection of short stories. I just bought this on Amazon. Oh, you did? Yeah. Do you remember when... Uh do you remember when I left the house like an hour ago and I was like, I'll be right back. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought you died because I was you didn't g- come back for, it took a long time. <laughs> I, I went to half price books to find some Larry Brown because I was like on, you know, Amazon previewing the book. And I was like, Oh, this is my, this is my shit. Like yeah. this reminds me of like Bukowski yeah. and like Larry McMurtry. It's this like writing very informally and, poetically about like the downtrodden and like yeah this is american yeah it's like americana in book form you know like it's it's just this like kind of finding the sorrow and the beauty and the tragedy and the synopsis of the book oh give it yeah well i'm a i I was like i'm gonna go pick it up at fucking half price and they didn't have it and then i went to barnes and noble they had nothing by him and then i went back on amazon and I bought the paperback for thirty dollars oh, because there's like they're like impossible to find. Wow. Yeah. All right. So Big Bad Love, his Larry Brown's third book. It's a short stories collection. Collects ten new stories yes. dealing with sex, with drink, with fear, with all kinds of bad luck and obsession. These stories are unflinching and not for the faint hearted. Yeah. But as is true of all Brown's fiction. These 10 stories are linked in a collective statement of redemption and hope. These stories come as close to the truth as any human uh, expression can. It's wonderful. I I read the first couple pages and it's like him and this woman he's in love with that doesn't love him back. uh, And they their car breaks down or something. And he's like talking about he's like, shit, I just need to do this thing to get the car back rolling. And I'm seeing her walking away and he's like thinking about their relationship and how like you know when relationships start they're all glamorous but then you start to kind of like see the underbelly of each other and like it it just he just dives into it but it's all like it it's the kind of books that i love to read just like bukowski where it just sounds like somebody like telling you a story like think of the best storyteller you know just like talking and being like yeah you know it's it's not it's not like uh he doesn't try to take the wording and make it all floral and poetic. It's very just raw and like, I don't know. I it's I read two pages and I was like, this is my shit. I'm going to go buy it. Like, this is the kind of stuff that I like to read. And yeah. I haven't been reading books this year. So I, I was so excited to find something I liked. So thank you, John awesome. Moreland, yes. for introducing me awesome. to a new author that I will probably love. And this was the song that got me into John Moreland. Mm. And I love, love this song. Oh, this is the... Yeah, we played a couple of the ballads, but now we're going to get into the real banger rock and roll yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, we've got a <laughs> the thought is just a passing train is like a really hip, like cool groove. You yeah. can like totally listen to that song while you're like smoking the biggest bowl of all time <laughs> and like really get into it. Salisaw, it's like a road trip song. too. Yeah, it's good. Salisaw Blue is more just like that gritty like, OK. This is the first one I heard okay. too. You put it on your playlist, and I was like, "Oh, I I like this." 
because yeah. it just starts flying off the handles like right away. Like and just it, yeah. a long train running, just quick, fast. So this is the song Salisaw Blue, and I think it's the lead song. Yeah, it is the lead song off the 2017 John Moreland record, Big Bad Love. One, two. Oh, 
song is basically the perfect like rock and roll Americana song. Oh, 100%. It, it has, you know, all the right, and again, going back to the word, the soundscape, the tapestry, it's just a perfect, perfect instrumentation. Um, it has the acoustic guitar with those open, uh, ri- open string riffs, so you're playing a note, but you're also playing open strings as well, and that's where you get that awesome main riff of the song. You just yeah. hear it, and um, it has the 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 keyboards, the the awesome like like kind of just giving it a backbone, and then you hear some piano fills. Has a great harmonica coming out right in the very beginning. Um, has an electric guitar with a tremolo effect like Pop Staples from our last yeah. episode we talked about. Great drum sound. And um, I, I'm not sure uh, if John Moreland recorded this record by himself, um, hmm. but I believe it was produced by him. I, I wrote it down right here. 2017. Yeah, it's produced by John Moreland. So he made the... The decisions in terms of the the music and the instrumentation, the arrangement, um, but yeah, just basically the perfect the perfect rock and roll Americana song. Yeah, and his uh, his voice is has like that great growly like smoky effect, which is you know it, it, you can't really fake it. You either have it or you don't, and if you are faking it, it you can tell. So the yeah. fact that it's so natural on him, you just know it's real. I. From a songwriting perspective, first of all, the lyrics hit me as just like this really great sort of conglomeration of like we're gonna talk about place, people, and we're gonna we're gonna marry the idea of these like of traveling and places of Arkansas and slumming I forty with American songs, and then kind of like this wrestling with this i like sort of darkness of American culture and like it it's. It's a great, <laughs> when you say it's a great Americana for all those reasons, it's also yeah. from a songwriting perspective, like, it's like, this is kind of what Americana is. Um, and then, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I just, this is just a really basic, it's almost like a non-musician way of putting it, but I get so excited when I hear a song and you hear the verses and then it rolls into the chorus. And f- as a songwriter, I'm like, he he got the right chorus because you and I have done this where we're kind of trying to Frankenstein songs like, okay, well we wrote this song and we don't have a chorus yet. Here's a chorus here, or maybe this chorus works. And you kind of like try to like fit in the puzzle pieces until it sounds right. But this is so like it rolls into that chorus and it's just like, it's the only place it could have gone and it's perfect. Well, he has a great ear for these things. I mean, he has a great sense with his lyricism and you know, the way he writes songs, obviously, but he has a really great sense of just sound and um, arrangement as yeah. well. Um, because, again, this is, from what I could tell, it's do-it-yourself kind of stuff. I'm not yeah. sure if he, re- again, I'm not sure if he recorded this record on his own and if it was just distributed by a record label or what. But it's produced by him. So it means that he was making big decisions. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of, it's not. I don't know if he would describe it as a love song, but, you know, saying I need you, show me I'm not shattered. Yeah. Great, great, great writing. He uh, There was one more quote I pulled from his website. He wrote one song on his new record, um, LP5, about his wife, uh, the song When My Fever Breaks. Um, 
and I guess he started the song when they were dating, and then he finished it three years later. Um, and he said, it took me a long time to write it. It was hard to figure out how, d- how do I write the kind of lo- love song that I'm comfortable with. Well, we suck at writing love songs, that, well, so I totally saying, like, get it. I, just, I totally get I, it. I loved, I loved doing a deep dive on him today because I was just like, gosh, I really, really relate and really get it and get where he's coming from. Because like, I don't, I don't ever think a love song should be too simple. <sighs> Most of them are simple, but like it's, if you, especially if he's writing about his wife, you know, like this great love, like I'm, yeah. I'm married and have been with the same person for a, over a decade. So when I'm tasked with writing a love song, I can't just bang out some like poppy shallow thing. Like I, I you know, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on it. And I think he's feeling that same thing. So I, I was happy to hear him say totally. that he took three years to write this to write a love song and it's like okay but th- this i was listening to the lyrics of this song today um that is covering like a lot of ground as far as yeah. uh subjects but it, it does kind of have a romantic aspect of like you know i need you to kind of show me that i'm not that i'm not broken and i can keep going and i don't know yeah. I, I like that a lot well I have one more quote, and this is about his new record. Nice. LP5. And by the way, LP5 was produced by Matt Pence, so it wasn't produced by John Morley, and I think that's why we get more uh, sound experimentation, too. Okay. And Matt Pence uh, was the drummer for Justin Towns Earl. No uh, way. Nikki Lane, Jason Isbell, and, and many others. Many Quite others. Quite a resume. He also produced that, that record Highway Queen by Nikki Lane. You That's know, a, such a badass uh, cover. The where one where she's like on the buffalo yeah, or whatever. No, the, bo- the Texas Longhorn. We both just yeah. put our hands out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. yeah just it's check. an iconic photo. Google iconic it. It's photo. a gorgeous album. Um, so he's, what, you know, he's definitely a name he was like nominated for a bunch of texas music awards it's, it's matt pence matt pence couldn't help yeah. but think the other one okay and uh and then pitchfork did this review for lp5 the oklahoma roots songwriter expands his increasingly experimental and genre resistant songbook without sacrificing his emphatic poetic core Gord- and perfect. i think that's Perfectly a perfect said. way to explain Perfectly it said. is uh he's found a way to keep you know this why am I trying to say it better? They, they just <laughs> said it. They just said it. Yeah. I was ready. I was like, oh, Stu's going to yeah, dive no, no, in. No, no, no. no it's, just it's, it. yeah, yeah, it's he's perfect. Ex- he's starting to experiment. He's starting to branch out, but he still has that soul that's uh, made him the, uh, the songwriter's songwriter that he is. Yeah. So anyway, that's pretty much it for us. Thank you, John Moreland and his crew for letting us check him um, out. T- use his music on this podcast. Please check him out. Um, he, you know, is on all streaming services. And as for us, we have a gig that's unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for us, unfortunately for anyone else who wants to buy tickets, it's sold out out. this, uh, weekend. Because not, not because we're like so badass that it's sold out more that it's socially distanced and like reservation only tables. So those sold out. Yeah. Those sold out. Yeah. But. That's awesome for us. We we sold out these but that's two back to back shows, <laughs> and um, maybe yeah, that's pretty much it for us. Uh, I, you can find me at the Fourth Boar the following weekend. I believe it's March twentieth, and that's in Arinda. And I'll just be playing acoustic songs, just messing around, playing some covers, some original tunes. Yeah, no big deal. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Do you have anything you want to add, Em? No, I mean we've yeah we've got one of our first you know outdoor gigs in a long time at Donkey and Goat on Saturday and um, 
after that, I think we're going to do what we've been doing, practicing a couple nights a week, uh, wrapping up the second record, which is really exciting. Yeah, and I think uh, our songs ha- are really coming a long way on this uh, next record. And it's a little, it's a little different, you know. Our first record was sort of like, you know, here's our here's our best of from the last our first ten years of being a band. So it was like our like, it was some songs we wrote in two thousand nine. Can be a little eclectic. And s- yeah, it was like songs we wrote in two thousand nine and songs we wrote in twenty eighteen together, which was really cool. And I think it's a cohesive, beautiful record. But this one is going to be. Even groovier. Yeah, so this one's gro- a very groovy record yeah. and a very cohesive record. Yeah, it's all written, the four of us, yeah. and it's all written over the last year and a half-ish. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm very excited. Well, thank you, Emily. Great job, as always. You as well. Yeah, so my name's Stuart Patrick. My name's Emily. And we're going to keep searching for that sweet soul music. Come!